This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Whatever the issue is, you just have to jump in and make it work. I'll sit on the floor and hold up, you know, a teleprompter. I'll get in a fight with somebody else's manager. I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure that content or the music or whatever we're putting together is as good as it possibly can be. Welcome to The Real Reel, where I take you behind the Instagram reel and into the real lives of entrepreneurs, content creators, and anyone who inspires me and may inspire you too. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and let's get into it. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to The Real Real Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barbu, and this is my first intro since Spotify Wrapped came out. I am obsessed with Spotify Wrapped. I think it is so genius. And I saw this meme that I'm sure everyone else has seen too. But it's like Spotify is the only company to track all of your data and make it sound like, oh, this is so fun that I'm being tracked. And I think that's just so funny because I love seeing it wrapped up in a little package like that, like being in all of the stories and seeing what I've been listening to. But Spotify has Spotify wrapped for podcasters. So I was actually able to see you guys like your listening patterns. So only if you're on Spotify, obviously, which I do think majority of my users listen to Apple music, but still Spotify is still a big percentage. It's so crazy. Like The Real Real is one of the top 5% of podcasts, which is insane. My breakup episode got by far the most number of listens. Over a thousand of you, it was like 16 or 1700, had this podcast in your top five, which is crazy. 3000 something of you had it in the top 10. Like that is insanity. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the podcast this year. The year is not over, but I'm just so, so grateful that you guys have listened and subscribe and follow it. And I I just can't believe it. Like I really can't. Like this podcast has been so fun for me. And it's been, I'm going on like three years now since three or four. I started this in 2019. So yeah, I'm going on, wait, oh my gosh. I'm going on four years of the podcast. That is actually insane. So yeah, I've been doing this podcast for a very long time and I have only missed one episode. Like that is it. I literally have had an episode every single week for the past three years. It's the most consistent thing I've ever done. And I just want to thank you guys because you guys have made it easy to stay consistent. You've made it easy to stay inspired. And I am just so honored that you guys choose to listen to this podcast. So thank you so much. I definitely want to do maybe like a solo episode of like a 2022 recap. I think that would be a lot of fun. But I just wanted to pop in here because I did recently look at the Spotify draft and saw that. And I just want to say thank you. Another thing I noticed, though, was that only 25 or 23% of you follow the podcast and are subscribed to the podcast on Spotify. And the other 75% are just listening. So please be sure to subscribe. But anyways, let us get into the episode with Cassie Petrie. She has been the woman behind some of the most iconic artists, social media marketing, including the Backstreet Boys, Camila Cabello, Britney Spears, like name a more impressive 
client list. I don't think you can. She is Forbes 30 under 30. She's also Billboard's 30 under 30 recipient. And she is a leading social media and artist management Hollywood powerhouse. She's the co-founder of Crowdsurf, which is a leading marketing and music management firm. And she started out just like the rest of us as a fangirl of the Backstreet Boys and just boy bands in general. I mean, this episode is so inspiring. Like, I'm not the biggest music person. Like, don't get me wrong. I love music. But like, I'm not a diehard fan of anyone specifically. This was so interesting at the opportunities that can come out if you put your mind to something and how you can turn your passion into an actual career. So today we dive into the importance of putting your ego aside when you're just getting started in an industry and taking on any task, regardless of the complexity. We also talk about where social media platforms are headed and if TikTok presence is necessary for all businesses, which I think you guys will find some relief in her answer. We talk about her early days as a fangirl and how she supported their community, support systems, and their integral role in helping us achieve our dreams, her experience in the music industry. Like we just talk about so many things in this episode. So it's such a good one if you want to learn how to turn your passion into a career. So I definitely am so excited for this. And I'm so happy that Cassie decided to come on the podcast. Uh, And I know her story is going to inspire so many of you that are looking to find your passion and looking for that push to turn that into a career. So without further ado, let's just welcome Cassie to the show. Hello, Cassie. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really excited, especially because I was also someone that was a fangirl for some boy bands in my younger days. One okay. Direction was like my absolute favorite that band. Makes sense. At, yeah. Went to their concert when they were opening for Big Time Rush, like made my mom drive me like three hours away for it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I actually worked on um, that tour. So really, that's so funny. Yeah, actually. we did the digital I, marketing for that, uh, the, the Big Time Rush tour. That's so funny. Yeah, I wasn't a big time Rush fan, but I loved One Direction. So I went solely because they were opening the show. (laughs) A lot of people did. And then they left after One Direction. It was kind of uncomfortable to watch if I'm being honest. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I was one of those people that left because I was like, I need to see them like if they go on their tour bus outside. So I had gone and waited with like a bunch of girls to see and then we ended up not seeing them. But we tried. (laughs) You did your best. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we get into the topics, I always start with setting the record straight. So some stereotypes, assumptions, you let me know if they're true or false. And the first one is that you need experience to start a business. Uh, No, I mean, you know, that's tough. Like I had some experience in terms of digital marketing at a record label, uh, but I didn't have any experience in terms of running a business or starting a business. And I just, you know, kind of did it out of sort of necessity of wanting to be able to do the job I did. So I think you need some experience in terms of like working with people, but I don't Mm -hmm. think you need experience in like running a business or being C-suite or something of that level to start a business. Yeah, I agree. I think especially if you have a pain point that you're trying to solve or if, you know, you have a very clear vision of what you want to build and you have experience in that field, even if it's just like you doing it as a side hustle for a little bit, I think that that is enough to start because whenever people start businesses, I don't know about you, but at least for me, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. You're learning everything as you go. You can read a million business books and until you actually start and dive into it, you're not going to learn really anything until you actually like practice it yourself. Yeah, totally. You do learn as you go. And I think it's 
not having an ego and being okay hiring people that know the things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And the next one is that social media is still in its early days. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think it's the form of media that is going to continue to evolve and be around and it's going to keep going through different cycles and rapidly evolving. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people constantly say like, oh, social media is oversaturated. You know, it's too late to get into it. Like if you're trying to be an influencer, content creator, or I I feel like I hear that a lot. And I always think like, we are still so early into this that, I mean, it's going to be around, I think, forever. So the past like 10 years is like the first 10 years of social media. So to me, it's still in its like early stages and it's not oversaturated. Yeah, I mean, platforms get oversaturated, but it doesn't mean that the medium is oversaturated, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that there's going to be like a new social media platform? I know TikTok has been the newest one, but do you have predictions on kind of what the next one would be? I don't know which one is going to be the next one, but there, there always will be a next one. I've been doing this since MySpace and I've watched the cycle. And what happens is something becomes really popular. There's nobody left in the world to sign up for it. And when there's nobody left to sign up for a platform, that's when it starts to go in its decline. And it's not a fast decline necessarily. And it can still sustain even if there's nobody left to sign up for it. They could, you know, reinvent themselves, add new tools, create new reasons for people to use the app. But when you get to a point of where there's nobody left to sign up, that's when there's going to be another platform at some point. And TikTok, I think, is getting close to the point of no people left to sign up. So to me, that indicates that something else will kind of come around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to see what that is. I mean, we have photo, we have video, we have audio. I'm like, what else is there? Like, is it going to be just a spinoff of one of these platforms? Or I guess I, I don't know what the next wave could be. Yeah, we'll see. And then the next one is that every business needs to be on TikTok. No, I actually don't agree with that. I would say that every business probably should have some form. Well, I can even argue why you don't even need to be on Instagram. If you don't have content that makes sense and is going to be compelling, you you should never use social media and be in a platform just because you feel like you're supposed to. That's always a bad reason to be there because you have like a fear of not being there. That's the worst reason to be on a platform in or to create content. If you don't have a vision for it, and you're doing fine without it, and it's not something that impacts your growth, I don't think it's necessary. It depends on the kind of business you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's a great tool to storytell. But if you don't necessarily need that, then yeah, you're right. You're kind of just like wasting time posting content for what? Like just, <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't make sense. Like I don't think most law firms are going to get customers from TikTok. I don't think most realtors are going to get customers from TikTok. Maybe some do. It depends on your audience. Again, it depends on your audience and what you're going for. And also if you enjoy it or not, if you enjoy it, like cool. But if you feel like you're doing it because you feel like you have to do it and it's not driving you consumers, like it's just, I don't think that's a good use of time. 
Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today as it should with Earnin. Earnin is an app that is changing the game when it comes to getting paid. Imagine having access to the money you've earned as you work, not just waiting for payday. With Earnin, you can access up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So think about it. The next time you're planning a special night out, you need a last minute gift for a loved one, or you face an unexpected expense, like maybe a trip to the vet, Earnin has you covered. For me, it's about having the flexibility to handle those surprise expenses that life throws my way. So whether it's unexpected bills or needing to cover rent when things are tight, Earnin gives me peace of mind knowing that I have access to my hard-earned cash when I need it most. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type Real Real under podcast when you sign up. It really helps the show, so please don't forget that step. Real Real under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Let's talk about styling hair because it is a whole production, especially when you are battling frizz. And take it from me, I live in Miami, Florida. It is about to be summer. I really know frizz, but honestly, I would rather be doing something else like booking a spontaneous vacation to St. Bart's or rewatching the Heirs tour for like the third time. You know, the important stuff. But who actually has time for frizz? Introducing Way's new anti-frizz cream, it is like a superhero for your hair. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours. I actually brought it on a trip with me and my friend borrowed it and she purchased it right then and there because it was that good. So how does this fit into my hair routine? It is the best thing I could have done for my hair. I am all about saving time and the anti-frizz cream does just that. Plus the Sydney inspired North Bondi scent is so amazing. You can thank bergamot, Italian lemon violet and more. And as someone who is always concerned about heat damage because I definitely use a lot of heat on my hair, this anti-frizz cream provides heat protection, which is such a big relief. And my hair feels so much lighter and looks smoother after using it. Get busy being frizz free with Way's new anti-frizz cream. It's not just about taming frizz. It also provides heat protection up to 450 degrees, reduces and repairs split ends, quenches dry hair with intense hydration. And according to a consumer perception study, 90% of participants agreed that their hair looked less frizzy after using it. I can definitely contest that. And while you're at it, check out Way's other bestsellers like the leave-in conditioner, which I also use, detox shampoo, fragrances, hair oils, and hair gloss. They're all essential for achieving that salon-worthy look at home. So you can frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code RealReal for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code RealReal. I kind of want to go back to your early days when I know that you kind of are a self-proclaimed like Backstreet Boys fan girl from when you were younger. But I'd love to know even before then, like what first got you interested in the music industry? Was it that like becoming a fan girl to these boy bands or when did you start being interested? Yeah, I went to my first Backstreet Boys concert because my softball team won the championship and our prize was to go to the concert together as a team. 
in a little box. It was really fun. I'd never been to a concert before. And that experience changed my life. I wasn't even really a fan of them at that point. I just loved like watching people be excited about them. Everyone knowing the same song. It was amazing. Like the community around these songs and like the pop culture moments of who these guys were was so cool. And I, I really fell in love with, I think, the community part of music and became a fan of them as a result of that. And I used the internet to connect with people and express my fandom. So I ran an online zine, which is basically like an AOL email list at the time. It would have been the equivalent of having like a big fan TikTok or Instagram now. And mine was one of the most popular ones. And it did really well. And I had fun meeting people. I had fun, you know, I had columns for it, but I had fun writing for it. I, I had fun creating and I learned HTML and learned how to make fan sites. And I really enjoyed that process of using digital to express my love for the Backstreet Boys and to connect with other fans. And I love being a fan so much that I started becoming a fan of other artists and doing digital, you know, fan stuff for them, but also doing physical street team stuff like so like posting flyers if they were coming through town, you know, download cards after shows, whatever that, you know, was at that time. But I was, you know, helping artists in every way that I could and enjoying the experience of going to their concerts, traveling and being a fan. And then I didn't even think about the business side of it. And then one day a family member pointed out to me that there are programs where you could study that. And at that point, I became obsessed with the idea of being the person behind the scenes because I, I knew I couldn't be the person on stage. I don't have that skill set, to say the least. But when I realized that I could be the person that helps those people, that made me really excited. And I have wanted to do that ever since I realized I could do it. Yeah. How old were you when you realized that? 15. Okay. Is that when you started creating all of these like fandom sites online or when did you start that? I was doing that when I was 11 and 12. I was just doing that for fun and enjoyed it. And I had like a big HTML book. And I remember in this HTML book, each chapter, like you had an assignment and I would make each assignment about making something for the Backstreet Boys on the internet. And I had a great time with it. I enjoyed the process of learning about, you know, coding and digital and putting stuff online and that sort of thing. So I was doing that prior to discovering I could do music business. And then when I learned that I could do music business, I started doing everything I could to build my resume for a music business career. Because the number one thing I remembered I kept reading over and over again is that it's really hard to get a job in music. So I think I kind of maybe took that piece of advice a little too seriously and almost overcompensated in terms of getting experience and learning things. But I don't regret it because I had a really good time doing it. Yeah. Were your parents like supportive about this, you know, going into the music industry or doing these like sites and being online at that age? Because I know back then, so to give you context, I started on YouTube in 2011. So yeah. back in the very early days of YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, my parents are not going to let me be on the internet at this age. You know, I was yeah. 15. I was like, I feel like I'm not allowed to do this, but they actually surprisingly were supportive. But I'm curious to know if yours were as well. Yeah, I never had anybody that discouraged me. I think most of my family was confused because they're all of either like medical or engineering backgrounds and don't have an interest in music like I did. So I think they were confused, but I think did their best to sort of cheer me on. And uh, and I, I lived with my dad and my grandparents. And my grandfather was an engineer, but he would always get these magazines that had 
like different gadgets in them. So he was always like, he was an early adopter of technology. He liked gadgets and new fun things. So we had a computer early because he liked gadgets and liked to learn new things. We had a printer before everyone else. We had AOL before everyone else. Just, you know, he wasn't a digital marketing person. I wouldn't say he was necessarily tech savvy, but he was just always curious. And so he always, you know, he didn't know anything about what I was doing or wanted to do, but he was always so curious about it. And I think that his curiosity and openness to it versus shutting it down and making judgments about it made it easier for me to explore that. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah, definitely. I always think that whenever you have people in your life that are actually encouraging of your dreams, your passions, you know, and they're not people that are like, oh, that's never going to work. Like, don't do that. It's so important, especially if you're a kid that's like discovering what you like to do and like what you love, because if not, it it really does like set you up for the rest of your life. Like the decision you made at 15, you know, learn how to code HTML and make these websites at like 11 and 12, even that like really changed your entire life. Yeah. And I think they're probably hoping maybe I was going to be some computer genius. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, I still use those skills I learned in that book to this day. So I'm grateful for that. I didn't learn about, you know, how to redirect website URLs and servers and stuff at school. I learned that because I wanted to make a Backstreet Boys fan site. So yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. Yeah. And you said that being in the music industry is very tough, you know, just to break into it. And you started at 15, kind of trying to make your way into that industry. What did you do to gain experience in that? Because I mean, it's a really young age to start, you know, getting into that world. Yeah. So I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And, you know, that is a music industry hub by any means. But I would say almost every city, every country, anywhere in the world has local artists. And that's always a good place to start in the music business to find local artists that need help because most local artists, they don't have record deals yet, or they don't have managers, or they don't have big teams. They'll take any help they can get in most cases. So I found local versions of everything that I wanted to be involved with. I found local bands to help. I found a local record label. I found a local manager and I just was like, can I help? You know, and then it isn't just asking, can I help? And then having them come up with what work to give you. It's can I help? And here are some ideas on how I can help. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times people would be interested in helping somebody who's excited about the music business or whatever field you know, somebody wants to go into, but it can actually be a lot of work to figure out work for somebody else to do. So for me to show up and say, I want to help. And here's the thing I can do to help. All I have to say is yes. I always like to figure out how I can get a proposition to, you know, a business person to a yes or no answer. Because when you say stuff like, what do you think about this? People even ask me that when I'm really busy, that almost makes me freeze because I have to think versus mm -hmm. when somebody's like, Cassie, can I get this budget approved? Can I get $300, you know, approved to go, you know, train in hotel for New York for the day? And here's why I'm going. I can just say yes. And if I don't like it for whatever reason, if I can say it's too expensive or you should stay an extra day or whatever, I'm going to chime in and say no. And here's why. And so they could have said, what do you think about this? And that could have stressed me out. But if they make it yes or no, I'm either going to say yes or I'm going to say no. And I'm going to say what I'm thinking about it. So I, yeah. I, I felt like I was really good at presenting it on a platter and being like, do you want to eat this? Yes, no. <laughs> and, and that's, I think, what 
got me a lot of opportunities where, you know, busy people may have said no, not because they didn't need help, but because they didn't even know, they didn't have time to think about what help they needed and what they wanted to give me. What were you helping with at first with these local artists? One thing I remember doing is, and I guess this is even like early on social media, but Reverb Nation was a site that a lot of local bands used. It was kind of a precursor to a lot of MySpace tools, but it was more focused on like music. So it had like a music player and pictures and information of the artist, but it had the concept of like fans could follow you and you could update your page with information. So I was doing some work on stuff like that. I would go out and post flyers for shows at coffee shops. I would figure out at shows, I would get people to sign up for an email list. And then I would go input those emails for the email list after. And then I would help write it because I had experience with my fan sites running email lists. I would help sell merchandise at shows and that kind of stuff were, you know, some of the tasks I came up with because those were things I knew I could do and other people may not have time. Yeah, you just kind of did anything that was needed just to get involved, which I think is really great because sometimes people, I think, have an ego. They're like, I don't want to, you know, sell merch like, you know, I'm above that. And I think that you have to start like wherever you can to get your foot in the door. Yeah. And I revert to those kind of tasks all the time like if i'm for example i've managed lauren gray and i was a person on set with her you know when she was shooting a movie a couple months ago and you know yes i had you know more managerial duties like discussing issues with the director and making sure she's comfortable and that sort of thing but sometimes i have to do something like take her dog for her walk or go get her an apple and i'm okay with that because it's at the end of the day my job is to help talent and help artists And that can be some more complex, high-level tasks where I'm talking to executives, but that can also be making sure her dog is comfortable, which is going to make her feel better, which is going to make her perform better on screen. So I think you can never be above any task, even if you get more experience. If the task helps somebody, I'm in to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's so important in any role, but especially like a CEO role, a founder role. You have to be able to do everything that anyone below you is doing also, I think. Like, you just can't be above it. Yeah, I mail stuff. I dry clean stuff. I steam stuff on set for an artist that has nothing to do with digital marketing or artist management. But if somebody needs their shirt to not have wrinkles in it in a picture, like, I'm going to do it because actually that is going to end up helping me as a digital marketing person if they look nicer in the clothes they're wearing in the video or the photo. So Whatever it takes, I'm there to do it. And sometimes budgets are tight and you have to, you know, pitch in wherever you can or you forget that you would have needed an extra person to help styling or whatever the issue is. You just have to jump in and make it work. I'll sit on the floor and hold up, you know, a teleprompter. I'll get in a fight with somebody else's manager. I'll do whatever I have to do to make sure that content or the music or whatever we're putting together is as good as it possibly can be. When did you start managing people? Did you work for a manager beforehand or did you start your own business right away? Like what was the path from I'm asking any local artist to help to I'm the manager and I'm doing this on my own? So I think there's kind of two big steps. The first one was when I moved to Nashville to study music industry major, Middle Tennessee State University, at the, around the same time, I secured a job at Warner Music Nashville and Digital, and it was called New Media at the time. 
I was working for the VP of New Media, and that was like the department. There was like me, her, and one other person, and that's it. And we were small, but we were mighty, and we did everything that nobody else in the building did. That was kind of what New Media was. It was like, oh, ringtones. I don't know what that is. The New Media department can handle it. So I was the assistant for that department for three years, and I really liked the social media aspect of it. I liked engaging with fans. I liked that whole process. But there weren't jobs that were like community managers or social media managers at the time. So I worked at Warner while I was in school for three years. And then when I went to graduate, I liked what I was doing, but there weren't jobs to grow with at the company. So me and my business partner, uh, Jade, who was in a similar situation, we decided to start our own company because we felt like social media was not going away and we liked it and we wanted to keep working in it. And so we were like, this is our way into the music business we can really help a lot of people with this because it wasn't saturated. There weren't a lot of people doing social media at that time. I, I don't even know anybody who's older than us that, you know, in terms of company age that has been doing it. So we started Crowdster 15 years ago and we started as a, you know, social media agency. And we still are that. We have 130 projects on the digital marketing side and work with artists, big, small, everything in between. And I would say that Jade and myself both have always had an interest in artist management. I think that was kind of the long-term goal. And we just wanted to figure out the right way to get there. And I would say over the past couple of years, we both have found the right artist that we're currently working with today. And I feel really good and passionate about those artists and they're doing really well and have a lot of amazing things planned for next year. And I feel like it all finally has culminated to the right thing. And you know, people have asked me, well, you know, have you, do you have a direct experience being a manager? And I said, I probably have the best experience you can have being a manager because I've worked with all of them. Like <laughs> almost every manager in music I have worked with them or do currently work with them. I have, I haven't had the privilege of just working under one manager. I've had the privilege of working with and under hundreds of them. So I feel like I have the most insight that anybody can have on management because I've seen good ones. I've seen bad ones. I've seen them ruin careers. I've seen them make careers. I've watched it all. So I, mm -hmm. I feel really confident about that role because I've had so much experience working with and under so many different managers. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you get your first client? Like, how did you go about and be like, okay, we're going to start this as a business and we're going to land our first deal? Like, did you use the connections you already had? How was that process? So I didn't want to try to take any clients that I was currently working on because I don't feel like ethically right about being yeah. like, hey, Warner, I'm going to go start my new company, but I'm going to make you all or those artists pay me <laughs> to do this. So it was very important to me that one, when I started the business that we had clients, because I'm not independently wealthy, I do not have a trust fund, I have to be making money. So it was important for me to have a couple things ready to go for when I left Warner. And something that I still do to this day is when I travel, I meet people, I take meetings, you never know who you're going to meet, what gigs you're eventually going to get. And my first client that paid enough to be able to exit Warner was somebody I met. It was just somebody saying like, hey, this guy's kid has a band. You should meet with him and give him some advice. And that turned into, you know, that man and his kid's band being one of our, our first clients. But 
I actually didn't go into the meeting trying to secure a client. I remember I took the meeting just because somebody wanted me to give somebody advice. And I was like, sure, I'll help. So you just you just never know. And I think another thing that I do when it comes to meetings that is helpful is I don't really go to meetings with an agenda. Like I'm not like, oh, I'm going to go to Atlantic and try to lock down this artist. And I'm just like, no, I'm just going to go to Atlantic and one, see if they need anything from me on their, you know, current projects that they have. And two, to see what they're excited about. Just catch up. Just say hi. Just know the people that I'm working with. I don't ever have an agenda. I'm just I'm literally just trying to, like, catch up and connect with the people in in my world. I'm not trying to lock anybody down. And I think that that actually really works to my advantage, because when you feel somebody's going in to try to get money from you, it's just that's not going to be a good meeting. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I totally agree with that with meetings too, because I've taken a lot of random meetings, just like, Hey, I need advice on something, or I just want to network. And a lot of times, you know, I, as someone who is also a founder of a company, you do have to be picky with your time and you can't, you know, say yes to every meeting. But I found that I never want to be that person that says no to everything either, because there's so much that can come out of just a random spontaneous meeting. And it doesn't need to be one where it's scheduled of like, oh, this is an investor meeting or this is like a meeting so that I can get something out of them. You just never know who you can connect with and how you can both help each other or if you can just help them or they can help you or or you meet someone and then five years down the road, you know, you're like, oh, wait, I met that person. Let me like reach back out to them for something. I just always find that those types of interactions are always so much more fruitful and valuable than the ones that are so like rigid. And it's like, I'm going here for a five minute pitch and this is my spiel and this is what I'm asking. And then I don't know, I just find that the more fluid, natural meetings that might not have like a set purpose can be like so much more valuable, like you were saying. So I agree. I think taking meetings is something that people should, yes, be picky about, but not too picky where you're saying no to everything because you just never know who you're going to meet. Yeah, I mean, again, you can't meet with everyone that, you know, time is finite, but I don't know, take a variety, like, you know, do your big executive catch ups, but also do a mentorship call sometimes or meet the, you know, the coordinator that works under the manager you work with. I don't know. I think I think variety is important. And, you know, I kind of have my network set around, you know, people my age and my level. I'm a lot of times more interested in meeting the people that are younger than me because those are the people that are going to be able to recommend people that I hire they're going to probably know about new artists before I do I think there's a lot of value in you know networking with different age groups and different levels of skill you know above below parallel other fields it's super insightful and impactful and it keeps me learning I like to learn and I enjoy that yeah, yeah, definitely. Have you, as you've continued, you know, obviously in your own business, but you were one of the first people that used MySpace or one of the first, you know, businesses that was utilizing MySpace. Have you kept up with all the new social media trends? Are you always the first one on all of these new platforms? What do you think about like all the trends that are going on? Or do you think, you know, these social media platforms are here to stay forever? I'd love to just know your insight on that from a business perspective. Yeah, I set up a lot of processes within my company to keep up with trends. Like, for example, every morning, there's a team member that sends out digital trends, but just like general world trends in news every morning so that I know the main things going on in the world at that time. And then we have direct relationships with all the social platforms. And they're really good about sending TikTok, Meta, and other platforms send a weekly sort of here's what's happening on our platform. Here are the top songs. Here are some trends we're seeing emerge, that sort of thing. And then we share that information with our clients in addition to maybe some stuff we see 
you know, independently outside of those emails, but I'm always very diligent about reading what's happening within these platforms because I think knowing what's happening is super important. And I'm also a really big believer in early adoption in general. In social media, the early bird really does get the worm. And by worm, I mean subscribers. When a platform is not saturated yet, that's the easier time to gain subscribers. And I would say if you were using TikTok prior to like the pandemic, you were in that growth spurt where everyone signed mm-hmm. up the first half of 2020. And the easiest time to get subscribers is to already be established when the rest of the world starts to sign up. Because the time that people follow the most people on a social media platform is when they're signing up. That's when they're populating their feed. They're looking for stuff to follow. And over time, they're probably actually like on Instagram, people actually feel like their feed is too populated. and They're actually looking for people to unfollow at this point. So if you're on a platform and you've established even a small presence, but some type of presence before it goes mainstream and everyone's signing up, you're really poised to have a big growth moment and to be a leader on that platform. So I'm a mm-hmm. big believer in, you know, more time on platform equals more time to get subscribers. That is that is my favorite math equation, but it, it's true. The more time you're something, the more time you're uh, signed up, the more time you have to collect subscribers on a platform. Yeah. Were you one of the first ones then on TikTok? Like, were you on Musical.ly before TikTok? I mean, not me personally, but my clients were for sure. I yeah. actually, one of my current clients that I manage, they're called Max and Harvey. They're based in the UK. I found them when Musical.ly, this was in late 2016, when Musical.ly had charts. I found them because they had charts of like who are the top people every day. But yeah, I was begging my clients in 2017, please sign up for Musical.ly. And they're like, oh, that's kids. They lip sync, they dance, whatever. I was like, please, I promise. This is it. Yeah. I knew it in 2016 that it was the one. Like I knew it would be what it is today at that moment, for sure. Wow. Like, no, no questions asked. I knew it. And I, you can ask anybody that um, <laughs> was a client at that time. I was definitely asking them to sign up for it. Yeah, I guess. How do you how did you know? Like, what were the signs? Was it just like it was charting a lot? It was popular with kids? Like what? I guess are signs that you see where you're like, you need to be on that. Cause now I feel like there's a lot of social networks that are kind of like existing and, you know, people are trying to start a bunch of different ones. So how did you kind of nail that one? Was there anything that you like specifically stood out to you? I mean, just how passionate like youth was about it was, you know, a big part of it to me. One, I was seeing a chart, but two, I would see people from who are popular on that platform, but you would see the real life results from it when these people would go to, I remember there was a TikTok stage at like VidCon and everyone knew who these people were. They were famous because of Musical.ly. They were Musical.ly kids. But the, but the sheer numbers of likes, comments, it was just, it was undeniable that somebody could log on and get, you know, when you're, log, when you're on a platform and somebody, you get 40,000 likes on it and you're getting hundreds of comments, like that's real. That's real engagement. That's That's real people. I think another good sign is when you have traction on that platform and you start seeing it carry over to Instagram, you're getting Instagram followers because you're popular on Musical.ly. Like, okay, this is real. This is real people. This isn't, these aren't fake people. It's not a show. Like this is the real deal. But I just, I felt it. I saw it charting. Like it, you just, I don't know, you just feel it. You feel the energy. And on that one, like, I remember as soon as I downloaded and started scrolling through it, I was like, yep, it's the one. It's already there. (laughs) It's already happening. It's it. I'm ready yeah. for 
Yeah, well, you were right. So now you yeah. tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, and, I mean, and same with Facebook. I remember when Facebook came out, it was just for my college at that point, And there weren't like celebrity pages yet. So what I would do is I would figure out how to register an artist, a regular profile, and I would have multiple profiles. I would max out the 5,000 app and then have profile number two and profile number three. I did this with um, Tyler Hilton, actually. I remember it was one of the artists I did this with. But it was before they had, you know, celebrity pages. And so fun. did you tell them? Were you like, hey, I made a page for you? Yeah, they knew. I, I would always get permission. And I'd be like, hey, can we post this on all your Facebook pages? <laughs> it was fun. But I always like to go where the people are. I think a lot of times social media platforms think if they get a lot of celebrities, people will come to them. But I think it's better for celebrities to go where people already are when it comes to digital. And I can see people were already on Musical.ly and people were on Facebook. That's why I wanted celebrities to be there. I'm like, there's people here. I want my artists to be here too. So that was mm. trying to figure out the best way to do that, even though the platform was not built for it at that time. Yeah, I feel like you're a very creative person. So, you know, all of these things, you kind of are thinking outside the box when it comes to how do I get, you know, a client or how do I start this business or how do I get into this industry? Do you still feel like you use that creativity today, even though now, you know, you have people under you and you might be doing more like managerial stuff, but do you still get to be creative and kind of scrappy like you used to be? Yeah, I would say that, you know, I'm not creative in the sense of like, I'm going to go write a song or I'm going to make a beautiful logo or I'm going to perform, but I do feel like I'm very like logistically creative. I'm a creative problem solver, I would say is kind of my biggest strength. And I solve problems every day, both internally and for artists, you know, for example, like we do a weekly like senior staff call and we'll go over the problems on that call and I'll be like, okay, well, you need to move this project to this person, this project to this person and let's drop this project. And that solves the problem. Like, I feel like I can see stuff like that and figure out assignments and stuff that other people just wouldn't have thought about in in the same way. So I I get I feel like I get to be creative like that all the time. I'm also very creative when it comes to like traveling and getting travel deals. I'm very I'm very good at traveling. <laughs> that is almost like to the point of where I probably would have made more money working than I spent the time on trying to get the good travel deal, but I enjoy it. So I've just accepted it's who I am and move on. But I'm like good at like logistically figuring out how to like getting everyone to a certain spot or to a certain country for a certain amount of money. But I like logistics and figuring out a way to put that together that most people wouldn't have thought of. It's fun. Yeah. It's, it's my favorite thing to do. Well, now I'm curious about the travel stuff. Like how, what are your hacks? What are your, well, <laughs> please share some tips. So well, I have special accounts with both Priceline and Hotwire because I've been using them for over 20 years because I used them when I was 12. <laughs> um, so I have like a hotline I can call if there's a problem, which is hilarious because I literally probably use those sites more than like most people in the world. <laughs> but let's see, travel hacks. I'm trying to think of any current good tips. It's for me, traveling is all about you have to go against the grain. So like, for example, I love leaving Hawaii the day before Thanksgiving when everybody's coming. It's all about traffic patterns and knowing like when a lot of people are going to want to do something and kind of being against the grain on that. So like I love to go to Disneyland at 9 p.m. when everybody leaves and stay till 12. I, I like to figure out how do I do things when other people are I'm just missing them. So I'm still getting like the opportune times, but 
I'm not hitting peak time because peak times in general make everything more expensive. And that's the same in social media too. Right now it's going to be way harder to get followers on TikTok because everyone's on TikTok. If you would have went right before, you would have had the opportunity to get way more subscribers way more easily. So it's all, all about like flow of people and predicting, you know, how you're kind of like there right before everyone else or right totally. as everyone's leaving. And that it's yeah. same with travel too. That's when you're going to get the best deals. Like I, for example, I'm flying to Europe on January 1st because nobody's going to want to fly that day. They're going to be hungover. So I'm going to get a way better deal and way better flight options than flying second, third or fourth because everyone's going to be returning if they're in the united states that sort of thing but if you pick a day like that it's great flying on fourth of july is awesome empty flights (laughs) great deals get to see the fireworks from the plane it's awesome all around but so that's you know i think one of the best you know ways to get good travel deals okay you heard it here first guys you gotta (laughs) go against the grain now it's gonna like those holidays are going to spike up because everyone's going to be like, oh, wait, now I can just travel on this day and (laughs) get cheaper tickets. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I thought this was a great conversation. I always love hearing about people that, you know, don't necessarily come from the industry that they're in and like how you manage to get your way in. Because I think it's so intimidating to have a passion and want to do something and you know, long to make it a career, but not knowing where to start. And I think you're such a great example of you just have to be very scrappy and you have to be think out of the box and be useful and, you know, don't be above anything. So I really loved this conversation. So where can they find you and where can they find CrowdSurf? So I'm just at Cassie Petrie, C-A-S-S-I-E-P-E-T-R-E-Y on all platforms and just at CrowdSurf on all platforms too, because we got the handles because we were early. So another advantage, you don't have to have weird numbers and underscores if you're there first. You don't have to pay anyone for your handle. Yeah, you got it first. That's amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cassie, for coming on the pod. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Real Real. I hope that you enjoyed and don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Natalie Barbu and the podcast at The Real Real Podcast. I'll see you next Monday. Hey, my name is Lovon Rumpf, and I've been working my ass off as a celebrity stylist by day and a podcast host by night. At the Low Life Podcast, it's all about keeping it real. We're talking fashion, beauty, to religion, sex, drugs, mental health. I mean, there's no topic off limits here, and vulnerability is mandatory. You can find my podcast, The Low Life, that's L-O, no W, everywhere and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. New episodes are out every Thursday. We'll see you then.